Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. On Mother's Day, we invited this person to bring some Bible teaching to our church, and we were excited but we were very frankly not prepared for the powerful thing that God was gonna bring through this woman. So what you need to know is that you are about to hear somebody who brought the word so powerfully and has been a consistent Bible teacher in Lake Point and Espanol that our staff has taken to calling her the Hispanic Hammer. So Lake Point Church, would you please put your hands together and give a doubly warm welcome for somebody that is preaching in their second language Lake Point and Espanol leader, wife and mother, Pamela Balthazar. Hello, Lake Point. I am so happy to be here with you today. I'm so grateful with Pastor Josh for inviting me back and for his kind words. I mean, I am good, but I'm also modest and humble, you know. (laughs) So we're in the middle of this amazing series, A Blessed Life. And today is a sequel to Pastor Josh's sermon from last week. Because as he showed us from scriptures and like thousands of people can tell you, there is a blessing that God brings to people who give. That when we return our first to God, the rest is blessed. But our enemy wants to keep us from that blessing. And Satan is the father of lies. So today I want to expose some lies Satan plants in our hearts to keep us from this blessed life God wants for us. And one of those lies is to believe that a blessed life means a blessed wallet. And yes, God definitely blesses your finances when you handle them right. But that blessing overflows to every other area of your life. Starting with your relationship with God himself, your relationship with your family, in your household, your emotions, all of it is blessed because you are putting God in control of everything. And I'm not saying this for it to be your motivation, like, oh, yes, I'm going to give so I can receive more from God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is a blessed life is our reward, not our motivation to give. And Pastor Josh did an incredible job the last couple of weeks setting the spiritual foundations and the biblical principles we need to put in place so we can have this kind of life. But today I want to focus on the practical things about giving and also on some wrong ideas we may have about what a blessed life means. Today we're going to see five myths, that's a difficult word for me, five mythos, let's say that, about a blessed life. So let's start with number one. It's my money. And this one is my favorite because I believe we all have struggled with this one. It doesn't matter if you are Madre Teresa de Calcuta or whatever. At some level, at some point of your life, this thought has crossed your mind. This myth is one of the roots of all of our problems with money. And it's not because we're evil or like super wicked or whatever. It's in our human sinful nature. We all have seen it firsthand. If you have kids, you have seen it firsthand. 
One of the first words a kid ever says after mom and dad is, yeah. I remember the first time that I heard my little boy saying, mio, because we do Spanish in our home, you know. And I was like, what? Where did that come from? Like, I mean, he doesn't go to school yet. His dad and I don't use that word. I mean, it may cross my mind, but I don't say it out loud in front of the kids. You know what I mean? But we don't have to teach them to be selfish. We're all born like that. But you know what I'm thinking when my kids are fighting over a toy and they're like, no, mama, it's mio, no, it's mio. All I'm thinking is, actually, I bought that toy. I gave it to you so you can play with it. So technically, it belongs to me. But if it's causing trouble, I can just throw it away. Right, moms? Any mom in the room? And that's what I think when God sees us struggling with this. Like, oh, but it hurts to give. It's my money. I want to buy this. I want to do this with it or whatever. I imagine God looking at us from up there thinking, dude, it's all mine. Well, he probably doesn't say dude, but let's see how he actually says it. In Job 41, 11, he says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Is the Lord himself speaking. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Dude, it's all mine. So how can we think, oh, I worked really hard for this money. I have earned it. It's mine. I'm sorry, but like, who created you? Just remind me who was it that formed you in your mother's womb? Who put breath in your lungs? Who keeps your heart pumping every single second, including right now? Like God told the Israelites in the Old Testament, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is because of him that we are even able to work to make money. And Pastor Josh already talked about this the first week of how we're only stewards and not owners. So the only thing I'm going to say to remind us of this truth is that the myth is it's my money, But the truth is, it's not. Plain and simple, there's nothing to say about this. Amen? Okay, so let's go to myth number two. I can give whatever I want. One of the things that I love, you know, here about the U.S. is your tipping culture. Like, honestly, like... I love that about you guys. In Mexico, I think we struggle more with this, and I think we are not appreciative enough of the people who do a service for us, but you guys are way better than us in this. But that made me think if maybe we're doing the same with God. Like, we get paid on our jobs, and we come to church, and we may throw a 20 in the offering bucket. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's not a tithe. That's a tip. And I'm not saying that you're going to hell because of this or anything like that, but we need to understand there's a difference. You tip out of appreciation to the people who serve you, but you tithe out of adoration to the one you serve. It's very different. We see the difference? And God is very specific in this matter. We see this verse, Malachi 3.10. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough to store it. And we learned last week that we should give our first. I'm not going to repeat any of that. If you didn't watch the message, go watch it online. But here in this verse, we learn that we should give our tithe. The Bible is very clear and consistent with this principle. I just read one verse, but you can study through Genesis, through Revelations. There's a consistency in this principle of tithing. God asks us to give the 10% of everything we receive, of all of our income. And it's very specific, 10%. Have you ever wondered why 10%? Like why not 15, 5, 20, I don't know. Why 10%? Well, in the Bible, the number 10 represents testing. I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to help me preach today. And please just, you know, uh, respond back to me out loud. Okay. So how many plagues was there in Egypt? Ten. Come on. Don't be shy. Okay. So God tested Pharaoh's heart ten times. How many commandments are there? Ten. God, that's how God tests our obedience. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? Yeah, you're getting it. It's easy. Okay. You can, it's safe to say it's ten. How many days we see Daniel was tested in the first chapter of his book? Ten. In the New Testament, how many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelations 2? How many disciples were there? I got you there. <laughs> see, that was a test. I was testing you. It was 12, by the way, for those of you that, what, what happened? Okay. But this is the thing. I don't know we're getting this. Tithing is not an amount. It's a test. And it's the same for everyone. It hurts the same for those with low income, and it hurts the same for those who are millionaires. So we should give our first, our tithe, to our church. Again, this verse is very clear as to where should the tithe be given. It says to bring it to his house because it's an offering, a sacrifice for the Lord. And I say this because some people think, okay, my tithe is $100. I give 20 to that TV preacher I like, 30 to sponsor a kid somewhere. I gave 30 to this nonprofit, and the other 20 I brought it to my church. I gave 100 away. But the thing with doing this is that you are still in control of that money. You are deciding where it goes. You distribute it according to what you think is worthy of your money. That's not the principle of tithing. When we bring our tithe to the church, we're surrendering it to God. We're giving it to him saying, this is not for me to use. This is yours, God. Here it is. I let it go, and we walk away from it. And I need to say something that is kind of sensitive, but, you know, I have heard this many, many times, so I have to say something about this. I think sometimes we struggle with the idea of bringing our tithe to the church because, honestly, we have seen churches misusing that money. And we all have seen it. The world, of course, makes it super public whenever this happens. You know, churches that fly all their staff, you know, in private jets or give Lamborghinis to their pastors. 
Unfortunately, they weren't hiring, so that's why I came to Lake Point, you know? <laughs> no. It was a joke. Pastor Joseph, you're watching. I've loved Lake Point, okay? But first, hear me out. This doesn't happen as often as we're led to believe. But even when it does, hear me out. That is not of our business. Pamela, what, what are you talking about? It's not of our business. When we give, we give to the Lord what's His. If that church or if that ministry uses it in a corrupt way, like the Bible says, woe to them. Woe to them. One day they will have to give accounts before the Lord and He will bring them to justice here on earth or in heaven or in both. But that's not up to us. That's up to God. And believe me, he will take care of it. Remember Jesus, how mad he was in the temple and he was flipping tables with the people that were deceiving others? Well, that kind of rage I'm talking about, that God will handle it. He will see your faithfulness and their unfaithfulness and he will give both what each deserves. But that's not up to us. But second, can I just open my heart and say this? That is not late point, y'all. As a staff member, I've worked here for the last 11 years, and I can tell you that we're a church that strives for accountability, transparency, and God-honoring stewardship. We have systems in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening. It's not just, just one person handling all of the money or making all of the money decisions. Nobody is above the rules. As staff, we're constantly taught to be responsible, and we have a culture that always reminds us the big responsibility we have in our hands. And besides, we all have seen our pastor Josh wearing the same jeans and the same pair of boots for the past five years. I think we can all agree that he's not making himself rich, right? I ask permission to say this, by the way, okay? That's why we love him. But like I said, you're giving it to the Lord, the church may receive it here, but God receives it from you. So we should give our first, our tithe to our church. If you are not there yet, don't feel judged. We're not condemning you or anything. Just let it be your goal. Take, you know, start taking small steps. I would start cold turkey right away. I'm, that's what I am. But, you know, you can just take small steps towards this goal, work towards this. So the myth is I can give what I want, but the truth is you should give what God wants. So let's go to the third myth. The church just wants my money. And I have heard this many, many times. I've been working at churches, you know, for all my life. I have heard this. Oh, the church always wants my money. They're always asking for money. All they want is my money. So I decided to tackle this myth head on and finally put it to rest. So here it goes. It's not a myth, we do. <laughs> because that is the way it should be. In Malachi, we just read that there may be food in his house. His church should be stocked up so he can do what it's supposed to do. So yes, we do want you to bring the money like God says so we can do the things we do like 
having medical clinics in other countries, giving wheelchairs, uh, eyeglasses, dental care to people that cannot afford it, so we can support initiatives around the world that provide clean water to entire communities, so we can have programs to assist families with adoption and foster care, so we can open churches and more campuses, so we can continue preaching the gospel, so we can help vulnerable ministries around the world that don't have as many resources as we do, so they can continue to do what God has called them to do, so we can partner with ministries and programs that help abuse women, orphans, people in prison, addicts that seek recovery, victims of human trafficking. Do you know we do that? To help our communities giving away food. Yeah, that deserves a clap. To help our communities giving away food and helping them with their bills whenever they are in need. To sponsor children in four different countries so they can have access to education, food, and discipleship. So we can maintain our buildings and the staff and the ministries that minister to you and your family every single week. So yes, yes, that is what the church is called to do. Like our pastor always says, the church, we are God's plan A to save the world and there's no plan B. So yes, the myth is the church just wants my money, but the truth is it's not a myth, we do. So we can do what we are supposed to do as a church. But this leads me to my fourth myth, to think that it won't make a difference. When we hear all of these things, you may be tempted to think, I have so little to give. What difference can it possibly make? I give so little to the church. But listen, tithing is not about the difference you can make, but the difference it will make in you. Family, you bring your tithe to the church, but God brings the blessing to your life. That's what it all is about. Just think about this. Why do you think God wants us to tithe? We have already established that he owns everything. It's not like he needs us for anything. In fact, let me be abundantly clear. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to advance his kingdom. He doesn't need us to extend his church. He doesn't need us to do his will on this earth. That's going to happen with or without us. But he invites us to be a part of all of that so we get to experience his blessings and we can be part of something eternal. He invites us to join him in what he is doing. He invites us to surrender all of our life to him, including our finances, so we can be free of all bondage of sin and we can live the abundant life that he has to offer. So it really is not about the difference you can make with your tithe, but about the difference it will make in you. That's what we're talking about is in church. Not because we want something from you. I mean, I don't... I don't want to sound rude, but the church doesn't need you. God is the provider of his church, and the church will go on with or without you. Everything that God has called us to do is going to happen with or without you. But we want you to experience a blessed life and that you can receive everything that God has for you. So the myth is it won't make a difference, but the truth is you will be different. Which leads me to our final myth of today. If I give more, I'll have less. And honestly, I'm kind of with you on this one because, like, you know, this one is very related to our human nature. Like, our math tells us that if we give the 10%, we'll be left with the 90%, which is literally less than 100%, right? 
But God's math is not our math. Um, our oldest son is in third grade this year, and you know, last year, you know, things started to get a little more complicated, more homework, harder things, and you know, I would sit down every day with my kid to do his homework, and while I was helping him with his math homework, I realized something right away. Mexican math is not American math. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but you guys overcomplicate things. I mean, the problem is, 15 plus 12 equals 27, but you do things like decomposing and all, why do you make up stuff? Like, I mean, <laughs> like the, you know, the results Mexicans get in two steps, you get it in 10, that's all I'm saying. Everybody in the world, we all use the metric system, but oh no, you have the English system. How's that even a thing? I mean, is there an Espanol system? No. Everybody, we all use Celsius, you use Fahrenheit, I mean, just, oh, it's crazy. So anyway, I ended up confusing my kid because I was trying to do it the Mexican way, and he was like, no, mom, you're doing it wrong. I was like, don't you ever tell your Mexican mom she's wrong. <laughs> That's too American kid, okay? So I ended up having to call his teacher so she could explain to me the complicated, I mean, the American way. I barely got it. But you know, the thing, the point is, it, that made me think, could it be possible that sometimes we struggle with this money thing because we're approaching this from our human math perspective instead of God's math? Because God's math is real. I'm not saying this to sound cute in a message or whatever. No, it, God's math is real. If you like math, the Bible is full of math. In fact, I'm going to teach you today some biblical math. I have some formulas here, okay? So the first formula is 5 plus 2. According to our math, 5 plus 2 equals 7. But according to God's math, equals 5,000. Because with five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus fed over 5,000 people, right? It doesn't make any sense to us. But it does to God. Another one. If we say that one emoji equals to 1,000, according to our math, equal two emojis, two of the same emojis equals to 2,000. Come on, don't be shy. It's okay. 2,000. But according to God's math, two of the same emojis equals 10,000. Because the Bible says that one man can chase 1,000, but two will put 10,000 to flight. Again, totally against our math. And this one is a little harder, so I need all the smart people in the room to just answer. Here's a harder one. Our math tells us that the number one to the thousandth power equals two? One. Yeah, you got it. I had to Google it, but thank you for that answer. <laughs> okay, but the God, God's math tells us that one to the thousandth power equals 1,000. Because the Bible tells us that for God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. So basically, all of our math is off. All of our numbers are off. Why am I telling you all of this? Because we need to stop seeing money from a human math perspective. You think your 90% will be less than your 100%, but God promises that it will be way more. 
Because of our math, sometimes we think, I don't tithe because I don't have enough. But God's math says, you don't have enough because you don't tithe. It's different. God's math is not our math. So the myth is, if I give more, I'll have less. But the truth is, the less you give, the more you miss. And I want to make a parenthesis here and talk to the women in the room. Because usually, we're the ones that tend to be more apprehensive with money, you know, like, of course, it can go either way, but, like, usually, we're the ones that make the budget or are more organized and more fearful. Usually, the husband is the one that says, oh, let's go on that trip. Oh, we cannot afford it. Or let's go buy this car. Oh, the payment's too high. Unless there is a coupon involved (laughs) or if we receive a message saying that the items on our cart went on sale, you know, the card thing, you know, the right upper corner of your phone. We all know this. We know where it is. In that case, it's a wise investment. We're not even spending money. We're saving money. Amen? Everybody knows this. I mean, I've been told, of course, other wives have told me I wouldn't know about this. You know, let me pray for you. But listen, if this is you, woman or man, we have studied the verse Malachi 3.10 where it tells us to give. But I love it that just a few verses before in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. If he has promised that if we are faithful to him, he will bless us, why should we doubt him? We need to rely more on God's promises than in our budget, that we can all agree that it changes constantly. But God doesn't change. Has he ever not been faithful to his promises? Has he ever And like I said at the beginning, having a blessed life should not be our motivation to give, but we can be certain it will be our reward. And now if you allow me, I would like to end this message just sharing my personal testimony. When my husband and I first got married, we still lived in Mexico, and we both worked for our church in Mexico. And churches in Mexico are not as resourceful as most churches, you know, here in the U.S., So when we first got married, my husband and I, I remember exactly what we made. I made 300 pesos per week, and my husband made 450 pesos per week. And you may think, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, that equals to about $37 per week, a total of $150 per month. That was our total income. Not because the church didn't want to pay us more, but that's literally the best they could do. I don't know, we were like super, you know, you know, we had a lot of faith that we were just naive when we first got married. I don't know what we were thinking. But one of the first things we ever decided as a couple was to give our tithe. But on top of all of that, our income was actually very low. And we had, you know, the same expenses as everybody, like rent, you know, water, you know, all the bills. My husband was a youth pastor. And... Youth pastors in Mexico don't have a budget like, oh, let me do this activity. So anything we wanted to do with the students, it was on us. And at least like two or three times a week, we had students over at our house, like, you know, Bible study, prayer group, leadership group, like you name it. Or we would have like random students, like literally just showing up at our house, like, what you're doing? And we're like, oh, we're making dinner. Oh, okay, I'll stay. Oh, we weren't inviting you, but okay, you know. (laughs) And I remember we would buy like a big bag of bolillos, which is a very Mexican cheap bread, and I would make molletes, which is the bread with beans and cheese. You would melt it in the oven and then just put pico de gallo on top. 
If you were fancy, you could put chorizo or something in it, but we weren't fancy. <laughs> we didn't have money. So that's all I made constantly because that's the only thing we could afford to feed all these hungry teenagers in our house. But listen, through all that time, not once we were late to pay our rent. Not once we were left unable to pay our bills. And not only that, I don't know how, but we managed to go on family vacations and we were able to buy our first car, you know, a small one, but still a miracle. And I remember that we will always sit down together to make numbers how much money we have because, you know, we had to. And I remember that every single time the numbers just didn't add up. Like every single time. We defied all laws of math. Every single time. I mean, it was, we couldn't explain it. How on earth are we able to pay this? And we didn't even have credit cards. We were too poor to have a credit card. It was all God, supernatural provision. Because we were tithing, our money was working under God's math, not ours. But I want to just make something very clear. We started tithing right away since we first got married. But for years, our income remained the same. Like I said, God's provision was supernatural. We always had everything we needed. But it's not like overnight our salary doubled or somebody got, you know, arrived and gave us a million dollars or anything. Our income remained the same for a while. And I say this because through all these years, we've been married for almost 15 years uh, this year. And all of these years, we have, you know, had struggles. We have continued with our tithe, but we have had trials and difficult times. We lost our first baby. We struggled to get pregnant after that. Years ago, we were hit by a tornado. That's another story. But we were literally left with anything. We didn't even have a toothbrush, I remember. We had to start all over. And what I mean by this is it's not like our life has been perfect or we became millionaires. But the reason that I can say that and I give testimony that we have a blessed life is because through it all, God has been with us. Through it all, God has provided for every need. I remember like after the tornado, it was supernatural the way that God provided for us in a matter of days. We had everything we needed and we were living already in an apartment. Like it was supernatural like random people who heard about the tornadoes in texas would call us and oh i found out about you here's a thousand dollars and we were like what you don't even know us like you know god provided supernaturally even in the hard times he has given us peace joy love and grace we have been able to experience the abundant life jesus promises a quality of life that no amount of money can buy a peace of mind that no insurance can give you, that God has got your back. A freedom that we do not depend on any salary, any boss, any change of countries, any change of government, any national economic situation. Our trust and hope is in our God. The assurance that because we have put God first in our lives, we're no longer slaves to money or early possessions. We literally lost everything we owned in a matter of seconds. But we can never lose our God. Like Psalms 34, 8 says, 
We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We are blessed because we have put him as our refuge. And I can definitely say that we have a blessed life because we have made him our refuge and our first. And my prayer for you today is that you can experience that too. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are talking to us about this because you want to bless us. You want us to be free of worry, free of, you know, slavery to money. You want us to experience the abundant and blessed life that you have to offer. God, make us free. Make us free. Let us just put you in first place of everything. Let us give you what you deserve, what you ask of us, so we can experience that life, not out of interest, but because we want to surrender everything to you. Thank you, Lord, because you are faithful, you are generous. We can never outgive you, God. Whatever we can give you, you will always give more abundantly than us. Thank you so much for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.